America's number one show on pop culture and politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth. A great day when the great political issue confronting the American electorate coming up is what to do about inflation. It matters to every single American family and the poll after poll after poll shows that is the number one problem concerning the American people. So uh, what do we do about it? What is the anti-inflation plan that the President of the United States is putting forward? He doesn't have one, but uh, Steve Forbes does. Uh, Steve Forbes has run for president twice. He is one of the most successful businessmen in publishing and in communications in the United States. One of the most successful business persons, let us allow. And uh, Steve Forbes will be joining us for the one area that could actually help to cure inflation where the Fed absolutely won't go. And why not? Well, we'll find out speaking to Steve Forbes. We'll also find out about the history behind the great abortion divide. Now, a lot of people know that uh, President Reagan signed in 1967, right after he became governor of California, he actually signed a uh, abortion legalization bill in California. It was one of the first states to authorize abortion. And he had strong support from the Republican Party. The same was true in New York. What changed? How did the Republican Party become an overwhelmingly pro-life Party. It's one of those issues that tends to unite Republicans, certainly united Republicans yesterday, when every single Republican in the U.S. Senate, joined by a single lonely Democrat, Joe Manchin, voted against Chuck Schumer's very radical abortion bill, a bill that was based upon a lie. And this is uh, may not be the biggest lie floating around in America right now, but it's one of them. It comes very close. It's the lie that says that uh, now that the Supreme Court has overthrown Roe v. Wade, uh, they can go ahead and take away all your other rights. What right is going to be next? There's article after article like that. We will address why that is so deceptive, so dishonest, and not accurate in the least. And I'll tell you one thing that is accurate. We have a gigantic problem with American teenagers. There are statistics from the federal government that now say that one out of four teenagers reports suicidal ideation, a desire to hurt themselves or even to kill themselves. What do we do about it? How did we get here? We'll be speaking to psychotherapist Erica Komisar, who has written Movingly, and I think with great insight on this subject, we'll be talking to her a little bit later. 1-800-955-1776 is our phone number. Uh, first of all, there is a division in the Republican Party at the moment that is not, I don't believe, a profound division because I think it's very uneven. The count actually shows that... Uh, when it came to voting for almost $40 billion, $39.8 billion in aid, immediate aid, fast aid, speedy aid for Ukraine, uh, Republicans were not divided down the middle. There was actually more than a three-to-one margin 
on the part of the Republicans in favor of providing the aid to Ukraine. But that, of course, doesn't stop uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene or Matt Gates or Louis Gohmert, a failed candidate, a badly failed candidate, by the way, for Attorney General of, of Texas. It, it doesn't stop Paul Gosar or Andy Biggs at, or Mo Brooks or people who are identified with the party's far right wing. It doesn't stop them from saying things like Marjorie Taylor Greene declared when it came to issues of Ukraine and aid for Ukraine. Here is the representative from Georgia, clip 14. They want to send nearly $40 billion to Ukraine while American mothers can't find baby formula and while our border is being completely invaded every single day and fentanyl is flooding across and killing Americans. But Congress thinks it's their job to fund 40 billion of your hard-earned tax dollars to Ukraine while farmers are suffering, mothers can't get baby formula, and our border is being completely invaded. I'm going to be voting no to this bill, and I think the entire Congress should be voting no as well. Okay, she neglects the fact that it is not Congress's job, it is not the government's job to provide baby formula. I do hope that the the entire problem with baby formula is cured quickly. Uh, we are expecting a new grandchild, as I've mentioned on the air before, with God's help, in uh, the middle of next month. And uh, that means they better get the baby formula ready Though I think that um, the uh, young lady is going to be, and yes, it is a young lady, is going to be um, more determined to uh, nourish the natural way, uh, at least for a few months. In any event, the, the point being that baby formula is, is not a major responsibility of the federal government. Should there be local assistance? Could there be some help with the federal government to clear up the supply chain? Sure. Does the aid that is a life and death matter in this fight for freedom, and it is a fight for freedom, and Ukraine is on the front lines, is that uh, somehow getting in the way of providing baby formula? Do people come up and say, oh, no, we can't give you baby formula because we're too busy buying lethal weapons for the Ukrainians so they can defend liberty and, and by the way, today, a gigantic, a gigantic uh, blow against Russia right now, Finland uh, just signed a security alliance with the United Kingdom. And uh, this is uh, about to mean that Finland joins NATO. And Finland, a wonderful country right on the border with Russia. Uh, Putin is not going to like this. And right now, frankly, there's a, um, a statement by uh, Senator Cassidy of Louisiana who came on Fox, and he talked about the U.S. Uh, GOP, the Republicans in the Senate, as they are hold, held up for a little while getting the aid for Ukraine uh, approved by the Senate. But here's what Senator Cassidy had to say. Listen. Will Republicans go along with that? Yeah, if they can justify it, absolutely. This has changed from a war in which we thought Russia was going to win into one in which we think the Ukrainians can win. And I'll point out, the Russians are killing civilians, the Ukrainians are killing Russian tanks. That's in war, a lot better to destroy the other person's army than to attempt to break their will 
because the Ukrainians are not going to give up. Let's give the Ukrainians what they need for victory. Okay, uh, look, that I think speaks for the great majority of Republicans. Uh, yesterday, again, there were 57 Republicans, and I would say marginal Republicans. Uh, do, dare we use the comment Republicans in name only? One of the classic elements of the Republican Party has been strong on national defense, has been fighting where necessary to protect liberty. This is the, the essence of Ronald Reagan, tear down this wall. Reagan's entire life was devoted to defeating the evil empire that had impo been imposed by Russia on countries like Ukraine and uh, like Finland, by the way, which used to be under total Russian domination. With God's help and the help of some pretty good leadership on the part of the United States by President Reagan and the first President Bush, uh, and going on, we have uh, held our own in what uh, John Kennedy called the long twilight struggle. That's a struggle we can't afford to lose. And uh, basically, the demagoguery of people who are arguing against it is just all wrong. I hope we're going to be able to announce by the end of uh, this show today that the Senate has gone ahead and followed the House example and passed overwhelmingly... Uh, the aid to Ukraine bill. By the way, Democrats were united on this. There were no Democratic, no Democratic opposition to the aid to Ukraine. We will be right back with opposition to inflation. What do you do about it? Steve Forbes, come. Michael Medved show uh, the number one issue in the country inflation and the number one book in the country or soon to be an Amazon bestseller already is Steve Forbes book about that number one issue it's called inflation what is it why it's bad and how to fix it and of course a lot of people are going to skip ahead and take a look at how to fix it uh, Steve, con congratulations on the book and its well-deserved success. Uh, have you gotten a copy over to Joe Biden? Uh, I've uh, sent a copy to him and also to uh, uh, Dr. Jill Biden. So maybe she, at the end of a tiring day for the president, maybe she could read it to him at bedtime. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure that's a very constructive idea, and it's generous of you to uh, to provide the book. Um, right now, was there any encouraging news yesterday? Uh, inflation hasn't turned around, but the growth in inflation seemed to be a little bit less pronounced with the that 8.3 percent number. Is is there any sign at all that this problem is on its way to working itself out? Well, the, the, the answer is uh, it would if the government would let it. Uh, we explain in the book there are two kinds of inflation, non-monetary inflation and monetary inflation. Non-monetary is, say, you get a, a, a drought or bad weather, which sends up crop prices temporarily, or you get the COVID-like shutdowns, which severely disrupt supply chains, which sends up prices. But if the government steps back and let those things work themselves out, 
eventually uh, prices settled down. After World War II, we made the conversion from a wartime to a peacetime economy. For over two years, prices went up because we weren't producing enough cars versus uh, we'd been producing tanks before. And uh, But uh, unfortunately, this administration is, continues to put obstacles in the way, whether it's waging war on fossil fuels, they're now going after the railroad industry, the pharmaceutical industry, uh, they're scapegoating, they're, uh, they're, they're putting in new regulations which are hurting, they want to raise taxes which will hurt. So uh, things would settle down more if the government just got out of the way. Now, the other kind of inflation, monetary inflation, which comes when you undermine the value of the dollar uh, from usually creating too many of them, uh, the Federal Reserve has been guilty of that. And the question is, can they reduce uh, the money supply? Unfortunately, Michael, the Fed believes that the way you cure inflation is by slowing an economy down. But prosperity does not cause inflation. Uh, undermining the integrity of the dollar does. So if the Fed just focused on stabilizing the value of the dollar and stopped trying to manipulate interest rates, stopped trying to guide the economy, the economy would recover. We'd come out of this fairly quickly. Is there a major economy that's doing a notably better job than the United States in handling the challenge of inflation? I think you can always look to Switzerland over the past hundred years, Switzerland has managed its uh, currency better than any other in the world, which why even though Switzerland is a small country, it's got a, a vibrant economy, but it's fairly small, but uh, its currency is highly desirable. So if you just look at the money supply of the Swiss franc, you would think, my golly, they must be suffering hyperinflation. No, people around the world want Swiss francs precisely because they can trust uh, that the currency will keep its value better than any other in the world. So there are some that uh, seem to get it right more than we have. Uh, any of uh, our major competitors, say, out of the uh, group of seven? Uh, not really. Uh, uh, the Brits are bad. Uh, the Germans are usually, uh, when they had their own currency, they were usually better than we were. But uh, the euro is now in, uh, been in something of a free fall against the dollar. In fact, you could see a major crisis or a crisis brewing uh, with uh, the foreign ex with the value of the yen, which has been falling, the value of the euro, which has been falling, and the pound, which has been going down to a level not seen since the 1980s. So, uh, uh, and, unfortunately, and the, the ruble, dollar how is, how is the other country, other currencies are bad. <laughs> Well, how is uh, speaking of bad currencies, how has the ruble been doing in the face of <laughs> Russia's less than amazing success in the Ukraine war? Well, they are using gimmicks to uh, force people to use the ruble. So the value of the ruble today is about as uh, accurate as the ruble was under communism when uh, the street price of the ruble was about uh, one uh, one hundredth of what the official rate was. So uh, they're, they're trying to prop it up by uh, gimmicks. But in terms of the real world, no, people don't want to hold the ruble unless they have to. One of the things you've written about recently, and I know it's very much in your book. The book, again, is posted at our uh, website at michaelmedved.com. It's called Inflation, What Is It, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It by Steve Forbes and company. The... Um, uh, you've written recently about the gold standard, or at least the use of gold, 
to help stabilize uh, and and pull back on this inflation blight. Uh, but you say that the Fed is afraid to use gold. How how could they use it, and why are they afraid? Well, they're afraid because uh, the whole economics profession and most policymakers have these enormous myths about gold that are absolutely false. Uh, gold is simply uh, like a yardstick or a scale. It simply uh, holds its value better than any other thing in the world for 4,000 years. Not perfect. But when you fix a currency to gold, as the Swiss have tried to do informally, uh, what it does means that uh, the dollar keeps a stable value. And it's and we used it for 180 years from the 1790s to the 1970s when Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard for fallacious economic and political reasons. And uh, our average rate of growth has plummeted by a third since then, you know, Progress depends on investment, and you get more productive investment when people have faith that they're going to get paid back if they're successful in uh, the same uh, value of the dollars they uh, went into that investment. Otherwise, they have to hedge it, charge higher interest rates, or not do the investment in the first place. So the Fed uh, will not go back to gold with this crowd because of those myths, and it also means they don't have as much power. Uh, the the, the 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 dollar is steady in value so if it, let, let's say you fix it at uh, I'm picking a number picking a number two thousand dollars an ounce used to be thirty five dollars an ounce but let's pick two thousand which is around where it's floating today eighteen hundred to two thousand all that means is that if it went above that level you would reduce the money supply if it went below that level you would increase the money supply it's like a cruise control uh, but the Fed has this uh, conceit, as do, uh, sadly, most economists, that a central bank can guide the economy. And that's why you get this nonsense. There was a story in the paper today. Oh, will the new economy with people staying home mean that the economy can grow more before it overheats? What's this word, overheat? Like, okay, you know, we, we're going well, to get back to the... Sweat? We're going we're gonna to get back to that uh, definition of overheats with Steve Forbes. His new book, Inflation, posted on our website. We'll be right back with Steve Forbes. And on the Michael Medved Show, uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Averages down once again, the S&P down. Uh, Dow is down over 300 points, but uh, if you could buy stock in uh, Steve Forbes' book, that might be a good idea. It's called Inflation, What Is It, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It. Uh, uh, Steve, there's um, uh, breaking uh, news that the Senate has confirmed uh, Jerome H. Powell for a second term uh, running the Federal Reserve. Uh, Powell, who's 69, was first appointed Fed chair by former President Trump. He was reappointed by President Biden and has broad support among Republicans and Democrats. Is that a good thing that uh, Chairman Powell was reappointed? Well, uh, the only thing to be said uh, against it is that the alternatives were worse. Um, but sadly, I don't find hardly anyone on the Fed today who understands truly what inflation is which on the monetary side, which the Fed is in charge of, is sensibly 
is reducing the value of the currency, uh, which they have the power to stop. And uh, so uh, I'm, uh, I, I would vote against the whole bunch of them, uh, which goes to show how much uh, work we have to do. Uh, putting this economy into an unnecessary slowdown is a tragedy. It's avoidable. And even back, we forget, even back in the late 1980s and part of the 1990s when Alan Greenspan was in charge, for a while he made it clear he was uh, tying the dollar to uh, gold informally and uh, looking at some other uh, uh, factors. But uh, he forgot about that in the late 90s, which led to trouble. But uh, he, we, we don't, and it was called the great moderation. We did fairly well, even though it was a sloppy gold standard. It was far better than what we're doing now. Prosperity does not cause inflation. And that's what the Fed has this crazy notion. And uh, it's called the Phillips curve, although they'll deny it. But the Phillips curve says if you want low unemployment, you have to have more inflation. If you want less inflation, you have to have higher unemployment. And experience shows it's nonsense, but the Fed seems to believe nonsense. It's not the first time a government agency is going off the rails on bad theory. <laughs> uh, speaking about government uh, agencies going off the rails on bad theory, uh, there's a, um, a general assumption that the, the Republicans have it made. Uh, they're, they're going to win easily control of the House, uh, they're going to win easily control of the Senate coming up, and then be heavily favored for the uh, election of 2024. Uh, I wonder about the entire future right now, with the party so divided, so many ferocious primaries where, uh, for instance, the Mastroianni, who is the uh, leading candidate right now, Republican candidate for governor of Pennsylvania, that's coming up next week. Uh, he's leading with 29 percent. Is is the Republican Party, uh, do you think, thinking seriously enough about actually trying to bring the party together around policies like the policies you've talked about to try to deal with the inflation crisis? Well, I think uh, the only way you uh, change a party is indeed uh, going in pushing the good ideas, uh, trying to find uh, candidates who uh, advocate those ideas effectively and make the change that way. Uh, politics is messy because uh, you have a whole range of uh, interests. Uh, people have uh, not just different interests, but uh, their uh, uh, desire for those uh, policies uh, differ. Uh, for some people, social policies are primary. Others, it's economic. And the amazing thing about the American political system, just to put in a good word when no one else will, is that it uh, brings forces people uh, to come together for a shared purpose, even if they don't much like each other. And the only way you resolve these issues is by fighting them out. Remember, Ronald Reagan in the 1970s uh, was uh, considered an outlier. Yeah, he had popular support in much of the party, but uh, the country as a whole thought uh, he was a little extreme. And then when he gets into office, he proves to be highly effective. His policies are very much in the American tradition of American innovation and creativity, lowering the burden on people, and and uh, he succeeded. So uh, it's frustrating, but you have to keep fighting because if you don't, then you cede the field by default. The uh, uh, One of the points that uh, at least has been made by some of the Democrats – 
concerning the abortion issue, which is sort of front and center in a lot of people's consciousness right now, is that eliminating Roe v. Wade, uh, imposing tighter restrictions on abortions, means more babies, and more babies will mean more demand, and more demand will mean more inflation. Do you think there's any substance to that at all, or is that just a, a no, democratic think, attempt think, to justify uh, their I'm own gonna, position? I would say something that uh, you can't say on a family radio, uh, but uh, that is uh, just uh, this utter nonsense. Um, first, on uh, Roe v. Wade, as you know, all it would do, all but what it would do is return the issue to the states. And as you know, in the early 1970s, before the Supreme Court intervened, uh, attitudes in this country were changing on abortion. Twenty states, including California, where a liberalizing law was signed by one governor, Ronald Reagan. Uh, Twenty states had already started to liberalize. A dozen others are about to do so. And if that process had been allowed to proceed, what you'd find today is what you find in much of Europe. Uh, the first trimester, you can do it. After that, unless it's a medical emergency, no. And uh, instead, it's become this... Uh, thing that has just absolutely poisoned our politics. Supreme Court fights become uh, uh, death battles, literally, almost. And so uh, I think uh, putting in the hands of the people, uh, it's not going to go away. I'm pro-life, but I recognize most people disagree with me on that. And uh, so uh, you try to make your case, and then you take uh, the, the, the will of the people. And so different states will have different laws. But uh, if you want an abortion, you'll still continue to be able to get one, even if Roe v. Wade is uh, reversed. It's it's interesting. Today there's a full-page ad in a number of newspapers by the Freedom From Religion Foundation where they show the Statue of Liberty converted into uh, the, an image of somebody from The Handmaid's Tale with a red bonnet and holding up a sign that says, Help! Uh, and basically blaming uh, the entire crisis, as they see it at Freedom from Religious Foundation, on people with religious faith and religious commitment. And I was thinking about that. It, it is so visceral, I think, for most Americans to recognize that religious faith in general is a good and healthy thing for the country. It, it makes people better people, more responsible neighbors, builds communities. Um, any any response to those who believe that uh, we are on the verge of some kind of evil theocratic takeover? <laughs> uh, the answer is uh, no way. All we have to do is turn on the TV to see that ain't happening. And uh, I don't want to make light of it, but uh, uh, these the, these kinds of issues do bring out uh, can sadly bring out extreme reactions and. Uh, I think we had just uh, just have to uh, try to keep civil and make our points, and then uh, let uh, people ultimately uh, make the decision. And uh, disparaging faith is not the way to persuade people. I know several people who are not religious who are very pro-life. Uh, so uh, to blame it on priests or prelates or all that kind of thing is, again, uh, not getting to uh, the heart of the debate. And uh, so I think uh, we, we, we need a, a, a civil debate and recognize again uh, that this, this issue, which is about life, profound, you're going to have sincere differences of opinion, 
and that's why one uh, why you can't rule from it from the top. It has to be uh, dealt with by we the people. A- Amen to that. Uh, Steve Forbes, his book, Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It. It's posted on our website at michaelmedved.com. We will be right back with the latest on the abortion debate coming up. Michael Medved show. Uh, we're going to be talking uh, a little bit from now with Matthew Continetti, who's written a book called The Right, The Hundred Year War for American Conservatism. And particularly look at one battlefield of that war. There once was a time, and it was within memory, it was a surrounding Roe v. Wade when uh, the leaders who pushed for Roe v. Wade, including the justice of the Supreme Court who wrote the decision, it's a terrible decision, it makes no sense at all, it's illogical, and written by a Republican, uh, by the late Harry Blackman. We will get to that and more uh, coming up with Matt Continetti. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, Elizabeth Warren, uh, has been, as you've heard on the show, just very, very upset about the prospect of uh, announcing a decision over ruling Roe v. Wade and opening this up for state legislatures and uh, the people in individual states to make their own rules about how to regulate this medical procedure. But uh, she was very upset yesterday when the Senate of the United States voted by a vote of 51 to 49 against a sweeping and very radical pro-abortion bill. And here's how she responded. This is clip one. I believe in democracy. And I don't believe that the minority should have the ability to block things that the majority want to do. That's not the Constitution. That's not the Constitution. What we're talking about right now are the individual rights and liberties of half the population of the United States of America. I think that's enough to say it's time to get rid of the filibuster. We need to protect voting rights. We need to protect women's rights. And understand this, Mitch McConnell has made clear, they're coming after everybody. So we need to do this, get it on the board. I mean, this is is absurd, of course. And by the way, the vote yesterday had nothing to do with the filibuster. Uh, Even if the filibuster had disappeared, if it had been blown up, it had been removed, the vote was 51 to 49. Joe Manchin joined the uh, all uh, 50 of the Republican U.S. senators and, uh, and denied the Democrats their tie-breaking vote, basically. And uh, why did Joe Manchin oppose this bill? Because it was a radical bill. What was radical about it? Uh, Please understand, all the polling and, and people talking about the rights for half of Americans and this shouldn't be up for decision, the majority of everybody in this country and a very hefty majority of American women, over 80% of American women, 
are opposed to third trimester abortions unless it impacts the life of the mother. And, uh, and, the, and on that issue, almost all of these uh, state abortion laws, and by the way, I think that if uh, Democrats want to press on that issue, taking the few outlier states where they do not have provisions for authorizing at any time uh, the life of the mother can be a factor in allowing a rare abortion, uh, yeah, they they could push for that in individual states. But to say that uh, they this is a rejection of democracy yesterday, on what basis? You had a majority of the U.S. Senate voting against this plan precisely because it would block any restrictions on abortion at any stage of pregnancy, period. And that is not a, a popular position in the nation at large. Uh, here is uh, Kamala Harris uh, also giving her laments over the vote yesterday to turn down the Democratic attempt to federally codify Roe v. Wade. Listen. Sadly, the United States Senate um, did not vote where the majority of Americans are, which is the majority of Americans believe in a woman's right to make decisions about her own body. The Senate had an opportunity today to defend that right, and they failed to do so. But let's be clear, this fight is not over. And clearly, we also know that we need to elect pro-choice leaders from the local to the federal level who will defend and uphold a woman's right to make decisions about her own body. Okay, uh, when she says the Senate isn't where the nation is on abortion, actually, I think the Senate kind of is. Because there are a number of senators, and not just Joe Manchin, but uh, also senators like uh, Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, who would vote for a re- abortion bill that had more restrictions than we have right now. And again, this goes back to the idea, why should the United States, being one of the most religious countries in the West, and, and we are, one of the most church-going countries in the West, and if you want to associate concern for human life with uh, religious faith, people who believe that human life is, is precious, that's not a bad thing, is it? And it, it, the idea that most people oppose last uh, term, last what, trimester abortions, and it's overwhelming, and particularly overwhelming among women, that's extraordinarily important. Uh, Joe Manchin explained his vote yesterday and explained uh, about why the extreme nature of the Democratic measure left him cold. Uh, listen, this is clip five. The bill we have today to vote on, the Women's Health Protection Act, and I respect people who support, but don't make no mistake, it is not Roe v. Wade codification. It's an expansion. It wipes 500, 500 state laws off the books. It expands abortion. And with that, that's not where we are today. We should not be dividing this country further than we're already divided. And it's, it's really the, the, the politics of Congress that's dividing the country. It's not the people. They, they're telling us what they want. And uh, it's just disappointing that uh, we're going to be voting on a piece of legislation, which I will not vote for today. And uh, by the way, it, it, uh, the people are 
telling Washington what they want. And a reasonable bill, maybe even a bipartisan bill, could probably have passed. And this actually goes to this fundamental dishonesty that you are hearing all over the country right now. There's a um, uh, Daily Beast headline. It says, if the Supreme Court can overturn Roe v. Wade, it can ban interracial marriage. That is flat out not true. How could the Supreme Court ban interracial marriage? Now, I'm just asking. Could they say that interracial marriage violated the Constitution of the United States? It clearly does not. There's no clause in the Constitution that uh, bans interracial marriage. These were state laws that were struck down. There is no state in the Union that has anything close to a majority. The percentage of people who say they are opposed to interracial marriage in the most recent polling is 6%. It's less than, it's less than 10%. It's 6%. And the, the Supreme Court could take a look at Loving v. Virginia, but there is no basis for them overturning it. And even if they overturned it, all it would say would be that, okay, if a state wants to impose a ban on interracial uh, marriage, they could. But there is no evidence anywhere that there is any state or even any locality that wants to get in the way of interracial marriage. These are scare tactics. They are ridiculous. And this also goes to other headlines that have appeared in the last few days. There's one at, um, at Vox where it says, after Roe, nine legal experts on what rights the Supreme Court might target next. As if the Supreme Court is in the business of looking for rights to take away from people. The Supreme Court doesn't take rights away from people. What it does and what it did in this particular decision, assuming the decision that is handed down will be very close to what uh, we've read from Justice Alito, what it does is it gets the Supreme Court out of the job of deciding things and uh, saying that it is up, in fact, to the citizens of the state and the elected representatives of the state to make those decisions. This also goes to the question of how it is that the Republican Party went from leaning pro-choice to overwhelmingly pro-life. Most uh, Americans, many American Republicans, would think that's been a good thing. How did that transition happen? We'll be talking about that and more with Matt Continetti in This Greatest Nation on God's Green.